Hey, good week, everyone. Jeff here from This Week in Mormons. Thanks for tuning in. Nice of you to spend some time with us as we dissect the news of the week as it pertains to Latter-day Saints. So thank you very much for joining us. You can find us at thisweekinmormons.com. Shoot us an email at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. Tell us what you're thinking and join us on Facebook and Twitter and all that fun stuff. I'll do a plug here at the beginning, by the way. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N, yes, dot com. Slash This Week in Mormons. Pledge a dollar a month. One dollar. It's all it takes. And I would love to build a new website for this gig. But I have to justify the cost, folks. This can't just be a loss leader. It doesn't work. With that out of the way, we're glad you're here. and hope you'll subscribe. I'm joined, of course, by the wonderful Josie Gleave. Hello. Hi, Jeff. What's going on? Um, just enjoying this lovely new decade. Is the new website in the 2020 plans? I mean, it could be if I can oh, decide okay. I want to pay to deal with it. Yeah. People think this is a charity or something. Folks, I'm trying not to inundate you with ads and be beholden to advertisers and their needs and feelings. But, you know. that. Kind of- and let's be honest, if we were a church charity, we'd be a whole lot more wealthy. That's true. I'm going to start a, uh, my own 5013.c. 51C.3. Thought I'd never say it right. Anyway, yeah, I haven't talked to you since the new year started. What's going What's going on on your side of the world? How are yep. things? I'm back in Singapore. I was traveling over Christmas and New Year's, um, and that was lovely. I got to actually have some different weather, which was uh, a relief. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I love this you mean warm you weather. Don't like living near the equator and having. No, the same I mean, it definitely day. has its perks. There are times where you're just like, you know, it is so great that I don't walk outside and have to brace myself for the cold. Uh, it's more that just instead you're just like instantly sweating. Um, but that's all right. So um, yes, I got to go to Budapest and to Transylvania in Romania and to Tel Aviv for a good friend's wedding and then came back very jet lagged and here we are. Here we are. What did you make of Budapest? I've been to Budapest once. Uh, This was my second time there and I love the city. Yeah. So in a way it was kind of nice that um, I've been to Budapest and to Tel Aviv before and um, usually I don't like too often necessarily travel to some place that I've been before unless there's like family there. But this was quite nice that um, didn't feel as much of the pressure to like sightsee or tourist around too much. Um, although we still did some of that in Budapest. It just is a beautiful city. I really love the architecture. It's something very different and unique to a lot of other cities that I've been to. And um, ate a lot of cheese. A lot, a lot of cheese. I was traveling with two vegetarians. And so I guess that's how they... Tell you um, goodbye fill themselves up this is a lot of smoked cheese so it was great sounds um, dynamite i would love to yeah. go back to budapest i did not i briefly went there i was not with the best people to enjoy oh, the city that's a bummer what does that mean well so after so i spent a summer in ukraine you know in 2006 that's how al and i met longtime listeners and uh, i was traveling around afterwards with not al? with al Okay. Uh, with some other people. Well, because like traveling around Europe was kind of planned well in advance. And Al and I didn't become friends until we were actually there sure. in, in Kiev and got to know each other better. So we were we never planned anything beforehand. With other people, on the other hand, went to a lot of Central Europe, Krakow, Prague, and Budapest. The people I was with were fine. But like we wound up going to TGI Fridays for dinner on that what? octagon intersection. Yeah. And I was just like so tired. I just said like, okay, here we are. Also, this was before the days of smartphones and Yelp being as good of a thing. I mean, nowadays, if I were to go there, you could spend some good time trying to hunt down some cool eateries, and I love finding good places to eat. So we didn't do as much like crazy fun stuff, and one of the girls Did you go to a public a, bath? I, no, I did not get around to a bath. I wanted oh, to, man. but time did what not. What did you do? 
Walked around, you know, checked out both sides of the city, went across the chain bridge, you know, walked around, saw the stuff, went to the old synagogue. I still have not been inside the parliament building. I'd like to do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Our time was like kind of like a day and a half there. It was a bit goofy. The, our hostel tried to throw us out. Our hostel was hostile. <laughs> I, oh, oh, so oh good. My, oh, my goodness. It was a weird, it had a different vibe. Budapest felt a lot more rough and tumble compared to some of the other Central European cities. Oh, that's felt, a bummer. Look, you so really, really do need, enjoy it. Yeah. yeah, you really do need to find friends that you can travel with. And sometimes I find travel friends, in a, sometimes in a way, a little bit like roommates, sometimes really good friends don't make the best of travel friends and vice versa. And other people that maybe you don't spend much time with, you meet up to travel and it turns out to be the greatest thing ever. So you just need someone that's low maintenance, yeah, I think. My, and I mean, in my opinion, when and you're not traveling. a TJI Friday kind of dinner. Ugh, and of all. all the places, I would never go to Fridays, even if I were stateside. Now I get it when you've been gone for a long time out of the US, sometimes you want like just a piece of home like that, something predictable, you know, that's you're tired. a piece of home, that's just- it's garbage. I yeah. submit the only acceptable thing to do in that situation is if you have to, go to a McDonald's. I don't judge if you do like Ooh, If you're gone no. for a while and you just want to have some bad home thing, I don't judge for to ducking into a McDonald's and just having some McDucks for one meal. I have a whole trip. All right. I don't All judge. right. It's one fun. meal. No, that's fair. I mean, there have been times where my husband and I definitely were in uh, Istanbul and he saw Shake Shack and was like, you know what? I could just really use a bacon burger and ordered as such. And of course, because you're in a Muslim country, even though maybe not everyone necessarily acknowledges that it was turkey bacon. And I feel like he got what was coming to him. So. There we go. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, I was actually watching one of my favorite travel vlogging channels on YouTube, Kara and Nate. If anybody watches them, send a holla. What? You ever see them? They're great. Kara, no! the point is, they had a long layover in uh, in Singapore. I know, I know you mentioned the Shake Shack that opened there and the Jewel, you know, in yeah. Singapore. Yeah. yeah. So they actually stayed in the Jewel for like 55 hours before they went somewhere else. So they decided to check out Shake Shack, which they never do because they travel full time to see what the fuss was about because they've been out of the US while the entire... Anyway, I thought of the, my fine Singapore friends and the crazed madness that that Shake Shack in Singapore has caused for oh, the man. fine people of Singapore. It's serious. Um, Five Guys has also just opened up closer to my house. Same issue. Massive lines. There's no shame in that. When I lived in Edinburgh, I ate lots of good food, but sometimes, you know what? I just said, I want some chicken and McNuggets. I'm going to walk over to the McDucks. I was also living. No way. Pub food all the way. No, but not pub food all the way. Not all pub food is good. Yes. A lot of British food is terrible. The best food you can eat in Britain is subcontinent food. Indian and it Pakistani food. It is much I mean, better now. That's what Much you want. better now. It's like how all the best restaurants in the world are in Denmark all of a sudden. Scandinavian food's not that good either, people. They can do whatever they want to it, but pickled herring Denmark is pickled has herring. amazing food. There's no getting around it, folks. Oh, man. Don't. I'm actually, if, if there's, there we go, any food thing that I'm following, I do quite love the chef at Noma. He comes up with some very interesting things. Have you actually been to Noma? Uh, no, they were closed when we were there. I was willing it's to It's already gone, that. right? Isn't it already closed? Like they closed it. No, no, no. They close like seasonally and then they do like pop-ups in other places. Oh, no. The they world. closed the previous best restaurant in the world, El Bouilly in Catalonia. That's the one that closed down. This is now turning into like the This is the best <laughs> podcast anybody's ever wanted. Fast food discussion we've possibly Last ever Last week it was like Kurt and Jeff talking about Arby's and all the good stuff. And this week we've brought uh. in the refinement I will say, I am a big fan of when Kurt is on the podcast because I feel like w he's the funniest when he's not trying to be funny. And then when he is trying to crack a joke, you can like almost hear him smiling through the microphone. I just love it so much. <laughs> Anyways, that's not meant to be a dig. That's definitely a compliment. <laughs> that was a bit of a backhanded one, but yeah. Okay. All righty, should sure. we move on? Moving on. <laughs> We'll move on to news. A lot of a lot of wacky stuff has happened this week in uh, Latter Day Saint news. Everybody, and we're gonna man. Where should I mean? Where should we dive on in? There's been so much weird stuff that's been going down. I'm just gonna lead off with a quick one. Not not a ton of news news per se, mm. but I thought this was interesting. Um, the Salt Lake Temple closed on December 29th. We've talked about this a bit. Some of the plans surrounding it. What's it's gonna be closed for four years for a. Massive renovation. They're going to dig out all the way to its foundations. They're doing all this seismic retrofitting to protect it from earthquakes and what have you. And while they're there, they're basically trashing all the annexes and all the rest of that part of like half of Temple Square. 
and they're going to redevelop the whole thing underground, all that stuff, and make it this whole new experience. So it's going to take about four years to do that. Cool. Um, I'm sure the Saints of Utah will find a way to persevere. I jo- I do joke about it, but genuinely, when a temple goes down in Utah, it bless the people of Utah for being temple going, but it actually does cause like much bigger lines and backlogs, and uh, they don't have the supply to meet the demand when this goes down. So I guess that's a good problem to have, Utah, but the Salt Lake Temple will be out of commission, and you're going to be stuck going to Bountiful and Jordan River and Ochre, my favorite one, Ochre, great name. So... This does cause us to ask a question. A lot of temples have gone down for major refurbishments. Mesa's still down. Maya's temple here in D.C. is down. The temple in Tokyo is down. These are major, major ones that, that President Nelson announced. St. George is closed now. Um, at what point, like, what do they do to make the temple not a temple anymore? Because it's not like it's a dedicated building. It's not like you got construction workers with recommends and it's some kind of experience like that. No, I mean, that they decommission the building and then it's just an edifice and they do all the work and they rededicate it. That's why we have these rededication sessions. So we know that we dedicate and rededicate through prayers and such. I just, I've always wondered what, what do they do to detemple a building? Do they have a ceremony of sorts? Do they like close it down through prayer and ordinance or anything like that? And it turns out it's not quite that as far as I know. The church was nice enough to release a kind of just a, an informative article, just a nice thing for us to learn about, about the quote decommissioning of the Salt Lake Temple and the process involved to de-temple the temple. And so decommissioning is a bigger process in general, not just the closing of the temple as a temple, but that means like all sorts of extra stuff. But let's focus first on ceasing to temple the temple. According to the temple department, and it's uh, all the clothing, all the records, and then any other items used in the completion of temple ordinances. And so if you've been through the temple I guess there's a handful of things you can think of that would be removable in that context. I, I even wonder, though, if some of the altars are taken out, because sometimes when they have temple open houses, the altars aren't even in the uh, ordinance room. So I'm not sure. But they just remove that, that stuff. true? Sometimes I hadn't that realized that. The like with ceilings, those are there. Ceilings, they usually are, but I have been to some open houses when in the endowment rooms, the altar is not there. Oh, that's interesting. I but know. but I don't think this is a slam dunk. I don't think it's consistently that way. But I have okay. seen it that way. Um, but you can imagine. I mean, they remove all the anything related to that. That whatever, right? And at that point, according to the department, it is no longer considered a dedicated building. So they don't do anything else. They basically just grab the important stuff like that and take it away for safekeeping. And then the temple is just a building, and anyone can go inside. Just kind of interesting. Uh, it's just a lot more straightforward than I ever thought of that being. I always kind of assumed there'd be some more pomp and circumstance related to it. Yeah, like it shows nice, my ignorance. Yeah, a nice little ceremony or something. But no, it's basically like we remove the clothes. But no, it's good. It's interesting to hear about because I hadn't really been able to figure out what's the difference between like a big routine like maintenance and cleaning versus and this and sort of course there's that like when they do. Yeah. Um, you know, temples go down usually for a couple of weeks, a couple of times a year for cleaning. Yeah. In, that case, in that case, they're still dedicated because, you know, they'll have assignments yeah. to go and clean the temple during these two weeks when, in that case, it's got to be very interesting because the crews that are coming in, as far as I know, you've got people with, with recommends. Sometimes, you know, they replace the chairs and carpets and rugs and all these things. And in that case, you might have, you know, temple recommend wielding professionals doing the work because they don't necessarily decommission the temple to do it. Uh, and as far as the rest of what decommissioning involves, just for your information, uh, you take out anything historic that matters in the Salt Lake Temple that's a lot more significant than in other temples. You know, they're, they're even taking out doorknobs, light fixtures, all that sort of stuff. Furniture goes in storage. Some furniture is donated to local charities. Artifacts, might, they're even actually going to display temple artifacts in the conference center across the street. So of course, not everything can be removed. And they go to lengths to protect the temple. But the decommissioning itself involves just kind of taking out anything that just shouldn't be there while they're messing the thing up. So that's kind of the cool first step uh, in getting busy on the temple. They're already starting to tear down the South Visitor Center. Like, it's on. They're just they're not messing around. There we go. There's my fun bit of information I geek out. Riv- but riveting I, stuff. I love a peek behind the curtain. It's fun. Um. So I feel like actually this week we have more... We have like a lot of women's stuff and mentions for the news. One of these is a study that women who serve missions gain quality 
development opportunities study shows. I which feel like that I, should be known. I thought it would. Okay, admittedly, I clicked on this because I was like, this sounds like a study that never should have really needed to be a study. That, like, surprise, surprise, sister missionaries build leadership skills while they're on their mission. Um, and, uh, yeah, so to me, this was initially, like, no big deal. But um, a little bit further down in the article about this study, there was something actually interesting that came out of this was that respondents mentioned how they wished that their mission president's wife had a title and like a clear role and that there was recognition that sisters had fewer leadership opportunities than the elders in their missions. And also that a lot of respondents expressed a desire for like sisters only specific training and conferences. So there we go that I felt like it redeemed itself a little bit by actually providing some quality insight into maybe how the sister missionaries could be involved in different ways. And I also got to say, I agree with the whole wife of the mission president doing more than I don't know what I don't know. What did your mission well, president's I, wife I, like? I, what did, what was her role in your mission? First of all, I do believe the wives of mission presidents though are set apart. They're not just tagging along. Like as set, what? As the like mission matron, I would assume. Is that um, is that a name? I don't know the exact title, and I'm sure I'll be taken to task by our listeners for. My well, I mean, I don't know either. <laughs> I should have looked this uh, up. I know, but I, and back then when I was on a missionary, I guess I wasn't. You know, she was like the mission mom. That's what you're. That's how you, everyone thought of. Yeah, her. she was the mission mom. She was always nice and sweet, and would do things for everyone, comforting, and, and like bake you cookies. And yeah, I think that's right where the problem comes from. And you'd Jack. be all excited like during zone conferences when they, she'd like make up the big meal for all the zone, all the zone leaders, zone leaders. Yes, and man, I'm forgetting terms. And uh, but basically, yeah, the mission mom. Though I will say, in my mission, they had sisters conferences. This was a thing that started probably halfway through my mission. Okay. They decided to like it, they didn't do it all the time. Might have been quarterly, if that. But it was like let's bring all the sisters in the mission into Barcelona and have a weekend where it's just a conference, just for them. And in that case, the mission mom played a more active role in teaching and counseling and all that sort of stuff. Well, that's kind of nice. Maybe it's not necessarily something that's as widespread. Barcelona was ahead of their days. I well, guess. they did. Elder Holland did call us the lighthouse mission of Europe, as we all know. All right. Well, now you're just bragging. So we're moving on. I okay, wasn't there so. when that happened, but boy, oh boy, did that mission. Cl- you weren't even there? <laughs> well, no, this happened before I came in. And so oh, like, okay. in terms of branding a mission, um, oh. because he said that the lighthouse, as it were, became like the symbol of the mission. Like we had shirts made. I had- I was going to say, did you get a pin? Did we you had all kinds of stuff made up. Pin? And we were oh, called brother. we were called El Faro, which is the lighthouse. This was like branded all over the mission. This was this famous thing like, guys, an apostle said that we are the lighthouse of Europe, everyone. And so of course that was milked to death. To death. To, it was beautiful. So uh, And it's continuing to be milked to death. All right. I, I don't know about mission oh. problems though. Yeah. I don't know. It's fun. It makes me think a lot about just the role that women are playing when they accompany their husbands in general, like how we see uh, apostles' wives speak a lot more frequently now when they travel, which I think overall is is a good thing, even though you kind of alluded to it. It's a mean thought, but what is President Nelson's like wife set apart as? Like, why is, if you really want to think about it, it's good to get counsel, but like, are you like an an ordained set apart leader in any capacity? Have you been given the People are going to hate me, but I'm playing devil's advocate. You get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, what, no, what no, is no. your role? I and are do. you actually formally called to something when you're an apostle's wife? And are you given authority to counsel the church in the same love, the same way as an apostle might? I don't know if you are. No, I sure. can definitely see that argument. And I agree. And I think surely this could be an easy fix of if you want your wife to go along, maybe you should actually give her a title. And then one, she has some authority. Two, she's not upstaging you. And yeah. three, Stay maybe your- people like Jeff will be a little bit more willing to listen now that you have. That's a right. <laughs> I need to see some credentials, people. Otherwise, yes, I don't take exactly. Any of it seriously. Send the resume weeks in advance. We will be more prepared as saints to listen. Um. So. Along this whole line of thought with women's roles in the church, there are a couple of blogs or different posts, one by um, the Harvard Politics Review and then by Common Consent. So the first one was um, about 
or let's see, what was it called? It was like, I'm terrified to have kids or something like that. And it captures like some of the modern day anxieties uh, of a Mormon woman trying to live the life that um, they want to have and also to have children as well and the pressures that they feel. Um, my response and, very quickly. Yes. You should smile more. That's my response. Continue on. Oh, Wait, is this like me personally? Just to women in in general. I am gonna man. I'm just gonna be a terrible mansplainer through this whole segment for fun. So go ahead. Give him a grin every now and again. Fixes. You should smile more, sweetie. Okay. Oh. 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 Okay. That was so. No, I know. Gosh. (laughs) Oh, sorry. So. I've lost my train of thought now. You've just totally disarmed me. This is how dangerous these words are. That is that is abusive man ploy number yep. one. Yep. I've completely No. So no, but there was another there was a part in here that I actually quite liked that she called out, which was the mother's employment outside the home chapters of the Eternal Marriage Student Manual. Huh. Um okay. there you go. That had some mm, archaic language. Anyways, I'd be happy to call out that one to be rewritten ASAP, seeing as I think that very quietly the Relief Society General Presidency has been rewriting some stuff that uh, could be updated. So um, that's an interesting blog if anyone is curious about that perspective and or feeling that way. I mean, what's the problem here? Selected teachings from President Kimball. Quote, come home, wives, to your husbands. (laughs) Make home heaven for them. Make, Smile come, at him, sweetie, when he walks through the door. Come home, wives, to your children born and unborn. Wrap the motherly cloak about you and unembarrassed help in a major role to create the bodies for the immortal souls who anxiously await. I don't. I have failed to see what the problem is with this council. Be at home. I mean, food, if barefoot, I could pick you know. at... If I could pick out one little scene, the come home to your unborn children, what is this woman supposed to be doing? Is she literally just sitting around like, gosh, I'm not pregnant yet. What am I supposed to do? I don't want I'm you here. to work, honey. We have I'm unborn children. here for children. these unborn children. I feel like Anyways. we'd be more spiritual. If wives stayed home before they even had kids and just thought about the children they would have, they would be more mentally and emotionally and spiritually prepared when the time comes. Obviously. You know what? We have Pinterest for that. I think it's already <laughs> been planned out. So, oh, I'm trying the, to find um, some other beautiful quotes. Oh, I man. mean, oh, begui- <laughs> this is from Ezra Taft Benson. Beguiling voices in the world cry out for alternative lifestyles for women. They maintain that some women are better suited for careers than for marriage and motherhood. These individuals spread their discontent by the propaganda that there are more exciting and self fulfilling roles for women than homemaking. Some have even been told to suggest that the church move away from the Mormon woman stereotype of homemaking, and rearing children. They also say it's wise to limit your family so you can have more more time for personal goals and self-fulfillment. <laughs> it's gold, isn't it? Ezra Tapp Benson, <sighs> folks, still coming out. Print that on a plaque. I'm surprised this hasn't been updated. The most recent quotes came from, I don't know, like Elder Scott, Elder Packer. There's nothing current you, here. You really. see my point. Yeah. Someone, jump on that. Okay. Relief Society General Presidency, you are our only hope here. Um, and then at the Harvard Political Review, there was a blog called More for Mormon Women, um, which was essentially talking about the same sorts of things. This woman who had been raised in the church in the Midwest talks about how um, she knew from an early age that she wanted to have a career, I think, as a lawyer and wanted to possibly run for public office. And there was tension in the room because all the other women or young girls whichever class this was in, was basically just saying that they wanted to grow up and be mothers. And um, anyways, uh, whether that tension existed or not could have been um, up for debate. I personally never really felt that growing up. I kind of always thought that I was going to do my own thing and then family would, I don't know, hopefully work itself out. But seeing as I have no children, maybe we're still in that process of working that out. Um, And... But I would say, uh, well, as she continues on, she mentioned on one thing that I thought was interesting, that there is an inherent tension between simultaneously endorsing equality and embracing men as providers and women as nurturers, which is contained within the proclamation. That one hit me. And that she basically her thesis of this is that a divine role as a mother should be revered, um, but not precluded or 
Yes, the realization of her full academic, physical, and individual potential. So, interesting reading there, people. I am extremely grateful that my mother, who was mostly at home with us as kids, but would work part-time and stuff, but I'm thankful my mom went to college and got an education and had things to to, to explore because my parents got divorced, my mom had to go to work, and we mm. were not in a position where that was at the risk of poverty. Uh, you know, our, our quality of life went up. My dad didn't go to college. My mom did, so... Uh, mm-hmm. My mom was able to just jump right back into her professional career and take care of us. And of course, it came with some drawbacks, but uh, I mean, I'm thankful for that. I'm super thankful for that. I don't know how it would have yeah. been if my mom would have just said, I just want to get married and have babies and not, if that works for you, then great. And there's a lot of women that do that and they have good lives. But for me, I'm yeah, glad my mom was think, a working person. And yeah. yeah. And I think that that's the point, right? There's not. Like, maybe if you want to look at this as a pros and cons, there's going to be pros and cons to each sort of situation. And um, different family circumstances arise. And so I think all we're really trying to talk about here is that um, sometimes this quote-unquote ideal of a woman um, staying at home and being able to have, like, the privilege of lots of time to devote to her kids uh, doesn't always work for everyone. So that is all. Um, can I do a real quick one, which we talked about with yeah, what's up? rewriting some of the themes in the manuals? Uh, doo, doo, doo. There was um, a blog post about a change that had been updated to the gospel topics um, under unwed pregnancy Ooh. that I think this went last year and we mostly kind of missed that until this blog post came up. So um, under unwed pregnancy, they've basically re- rewritten like the whole thing and it's just a much better and encouraging personal revelation and individual decision so if you're going through this sort of instance um whether it's like teen pregnancy or just like pregnant out of whatever situation it may have been um your options are now things like remember that whatever you decide it's for you and your child and some people will agree with it and your decisions and others will not and i just liked that little quote that we're going into look, figure it out yourself and not everyone's going to agree and okay, that's fine. That is a big change. I mean, considering the old handbook would, yeah, basically say, you should, get, harsh. you should get married. Try to get married. If you can't get married, yeah. then put the kid up for adoption. That was Yeah, that was exactly. It. Whether or not you were a good match as parents, but like your children have a right to be in a temple sealed relationship. Yeah. I mean, and now it's, it goes, it does mention the four options you alluded to marriage and adoption, but also single parenting or it says, or abortion. Now, obviously we, um, it like links to why that is our favorite quote that we will hit on probably later is frowned upon. (laughs) Um, but, um, it at least includes, it includes all of those options and then goes into that section about why it's important that this decision is for you to make and it's between like you and heavenly your heavenly parents and you got to figure this one out which one suits you best yeah and it's a good time to mention to remind on abortion while the church i would say generally speaking is pro-life i mean yeah we believe in the sanctity of life and bringing life into this world good to remember though that we try to be moderate in our approach that sometimes um the, the exceptions, of course, when a pregnancy has resulted from rape, forcible rape or incest. I'm not quite sure what other kind of rape there is other than forcible rape, but okay. Um, mm-hmm. A competent physician determines that the life or health of the mother is in serious jeopardy, or a competent physician determines that the fetus has severe defects that will not allow it to survive beyond birth. And of course, that doesn't mean it's an automatic, oh, I'm getting an abortion. Like we've said, you should think about it, counsel about it, you know, take it seriously, as I'm sure you would. But uh, just remember the church does not have a hard line, no abortions, period, end of story. Like you said, frowned upon, dissuaded, not to be used as a form of birth control, yada, yada. But uh, still. Um, I'll, I'll continue on this, this wonderful female issue tack. Please do. So the church in the new era coming up this month has a section called, What is the Church's Stance on Feminism? Because no one's going to explain feminism to a group of teenage girls better than some old men. So, first, some basics. 
They remind you that we are children of heavenly parents. God is important. God loves us. He knows who we are. And then it's very short. Then it says feminism can mean different things to different people. That is true. Sometimes it refers to efforts to ensure basic human rights and basic fairness for women, as well as efforts to encourage women to obtain an education, develop their talents, and serve humankind in any field they choose, which runs almost like completely counter to what we just read from those old quotes from President Kimball and President Benson. (laughs) Stay Uh, home. Latter-day Saints support these things. However, sometimes certain philosophies and social movements bearing the feminism label advocate extreme ideas that are not in harmony with the teaching of the gospel. These can lead people to become distracted from or even work against the ideals of marriage and family. Latter-day Saints frown upon such things. And a good reminder, by that same token, we also frown upon extremes such as male chauvinism, sexism, machismo, or any other cultural influence that would cause men to think and act in ways that are not in harmony with the gospel teachings of respect, love, modesty, chastity, equality, and family responsibility. So I appreciate that little bit at the end that says, hey, we might be talking feminism here, but men, you can also be complete morons and don't be, which I love. I think it's so hard in a male-dominated culture, in a church that is... Doing more to be inclusive of women, but is still driven a lot by the male side of things to remind us that men can be jerks and not to be a jerk. Like there's no place for chauvinism, sexism, any of that stuff. Um, you know, it's amen to the priesthood of that man still applies and we shouldn't forget that. But uh, I don't know. I feel like the statement on feminism is kind of a nothing burger to me. But as a woman, exactly how I felt like it was written up in the trib as like this might be something that would become a controversy. But for starters, we're trying to discuss like a highly political term in four paragraphs, which I just don't really feel like is going to do any of it justice. Um, so I kind it almost kind of feels like. Because uh, later on in the trip article, they had talked or like reached out to those who were publishing this piece. And they basically were like, look, we've covered all sorts of things that our teenagers ask us about, including like dinosaurs and uh, had a whole list of other like topics that might come up. Teenagers and the church would be curious asking about. I don't know why dinosaurs was one of them, but there you go. Um, apparently, it's along the same line as feminism. You see, what happened is the earth is really 6,000 years old and they just took oh, earth. man. From what they already had the oil and the dinosaurs in it, and they just pushed it, smushed it together like a ball. I feel like that would have gotten more than four paragraphs, to be honest. I feel like the dinosaurs would have gotten more. Um, it just, it just feels a little bit like maybe they were trying to fly under the radar on this one and not make it a big deal because um, they didn't want to have a controversy. So I don't know. I'm like not upset. I'm not like thrilled about it. I'm sort of just indifferent of our very lukewarm attempt at explaining this issue. I do like, I appreciate one bit of clarification though, in that, um, a church spokesperson, Irene Casso, uh, explains that this is not in response to some of the greater attention the Equal Rights Amendment started receiving at the end of last year. The church released a pretty botched statement on that, uh, reminding us that the content for the new era is planned a year in advance, which is the case with publishing. Yeah, this is not stuff, that you, it's not a blog, folks. You know, this is planned well in advance, but it does respond to topics that are submitted by teenagers. And that's what you were referencing right there, you know, the questions on dinosaurs, evolution, and all that stuff. And I do like to call that out and say, Kid, teenagers write in and we want to respond to what they need. And I've also seen that like when my wife has been in young women's trying to take the time to survey the girls and say like, what do you want to learn about? What do you want to discuss as young women? And what breaks my heart is I've seen many leaders push back and say they don't want it. Like a lot of the girls in one situation responded that they wanted to talk about same sex attraction and and gay marriage, like how to navigate those issues, whether they experienced it themselves or just like how to, how to find their place with that issue as Latter-day Saints in a world that's more accepting of it. Um, and unfortunately, I'd, I'd see leaders that would like just bat it down and say, no, no, that's too divisive. We don't want them to talk about that. And I'd just be sitting there saying like, really? this is what they want to talk about. Like, talk about it then. There's, there's stuff, we have nothing to hide on these subjects. Yeah, let's just like bury that and pretend it will never come up ever I again. Mean, do that it, always works. Exactly. It's like, do it responsibly. There was another situation I was in a, some other ward along. I don't know, remember when this was, but... Um, it was also to talk about that, and it was also, this I understood a little bit more, leadership thought, 
this is too heady of a topic for the younger set. Like if we were all doing a bishop's youth discussion, like the 12 year olds don't need to be in a discussion about same sex attraction. The 16 year olds might have something be mature enough to handle it. I sort of agreed, but at the same time, yeah. 10 year olds know what that is now. I mean, there's not, yeah. there's no avoiding it. So anyway, interesting stuff all around. Yeah. I think our teens, even the young and the preteens can probably handle a lot more than we give them credit for. Because if we're, I think really the disservice is when we're a bit sheepish about it yeah. and we pretend yeah. that they're not hearing about all sorts of different topics, either at school, friends, online, social media, like honestly, it's already come up. So you'd probably just better off addressing it. Exactly. I mean, hmm. I li- I know we like to pretend, but yeah. All right. Um, this has been a fun little week for me of feeling like I was sleuthing and then finding out the knowledge was already there. What am I referring to? You did some to? good sleuthing. I thought you were sleuthing pro- appropriately, and so, I was like, I was impressed. Well, tip of the hat to uh, for a one, moment. one of our twin listeners, Natalia, wrote in and said, saw this and thought this saw it seemed kind of interesting. I said, oh, my interest was piqued. So uh, LDS Living is running a little article saying there's going to be a multicultural choir that's going to perform at the next general conference, and you can apply for it. You can join it, right? Cool. That's a cool article. So if you look at the church's webpage about it, it goes a bit more into detail about this because to be a member of the choir, you have to live along the Wasatch Front. You have to be there for rehearsals in the area in general. There will be a dress rehearsal at the conference center. And people, you don't do a dress rehearsal at a facility unless you are doing the performance at said facility. That's how dress rehearsals work. And then it also says you have to be in Salt Lake City from 2 p.m. until the after the Saturday evening session on April 5th. All of that is telling us you are performing in the conference center over general conference, which makes which because of our speculation about where this historic April conference is going to be because of everything President Nelson has said, you know, talking about the first vision of the restoration. This tells us that general conference, at least that session, will be in Salt Lake City, just as it usually is, except that we know the Saturday evening session will be a special session now for everyone ages 11 and up. No more priesthood session, women's meeting, what have you. So I saw this and said, wow, we have re- we have discovered something. We have learned the general conference will still be in Utah, ladies and gentlemen. I think that's good. That tells us something. Our listeners were nice enough to show us that back in November, a letter went out to uh, general authorities, general officers. It went all the way down to bishops and branch presidents, but no farther than that. And I'm sad to say I didn't see this. I'm an executive secretary and I did not notice this letter. So I see all of these, but this I didn't see this one. And it just says, we're pleased to announce that the April 2020 General Conference will be held when it will. Five sessions originating from the conference center in Salt Lake City. And this is when it said, however, rather than have priesthood and women's session, we'll have a special one with the people we talked about. That's all it says, but it does say five sessions originating from Salt Lake City, which would seem to indicate... The general conference in its entirety will either be in Salt Lake City. There are some who are choosing to view the the verb originate as if to imply components of the sessions will be held elsewhere or in a different co- format. <laughs> I think like we're really expecting this there. to be something wildly different when really, where else were we ever going to have it besides the conference center? I don't know. Now, now, building on this, some of this is maybe sort of off the record. So I was in some stake trainings this weekend. We had stake conference. And Elder Peter M. Johnson was there. Now, if you watched the last general conference, he spoke in one of the later sessions. He is the first African-American general authority, if anyone remembers this talk. People like to talk quite a bit. I was looking forward to this. So I got to go to a leadership session with him. Um, and he's he's everything you would hope. Very approachable guy, Loki. If all of our general authorities could be more like him, I think it would go a long ways in the church. Like we're standing there singing, and he's just walking around the room, like shaking people's hands and like thanking them for being there. Like mid hymn, instead of singing the hymn, he's just walking around like it's great. This is all great. We're all full of love. This is wonderful. <laughs> but he mentioned he he briefly at one moment said something along the lines of, "Like you guys won't believe what's going to happen in April. I can't believe the people they've gotten to come to this thing." He said something like that. I don't know what, what that means. I don't. I'm assuming this alludes to the Saturday evening session. I don't know what that people? means. He, he just said that. Like he, you won't believe the Ooh. people who are going to be involved in this. Like, what does that mean? Oh, Jeff, it's Lindsey Sterling. One can only hope. <gasps> Donny Osmond. 
special musical number between him and Dave, Lindsay Sterling. And Dave, Who else? David Archuleta. Oh, David Archuleta. And that guy oh, from Imagine trio. Dragons. Uh, yeah. Sorry, that was not that was a uh because I couldn't think of his name. Not a uh, Dan Reynolds I or something like his, that. <laughs> I forgot his name. I'm sorry. And then also Mindy Gledhill will come back to the church, and we will welcome. There we go. Um, I thought that was a little interesting, random thing he threw mm-hmm. out there. Um, if I can, I've been talking a lot, but if I can digress, I'm expecting dance. I feel like that's going to be the next stage, like the restoration dance. Is it going to be the restoration, the musical, artistic flair? That's what it is. It's the restoration, the musical. That's what it's going to be. Oh, perfect. It's going to be a two-hour collaborated with the creators of South Park to bring you. This is our way we combat it. It'll, it'll be first. It'll be revealed here, and it's going to be great. There's going to be like. It could be a it could be a sung through as well. Oh my goodness, the whole thing. <laughs> a hymn demony. And oh, what I do I do? So Where do I go, Father? Father, <laughs> an I operetta. fell next to the fence. I saw an yes. angel. I believe you, son. You are true. Oh, this could be so good. Nice. I am nice. all about this. So I don't know. Anyways, also Peter great. M. Johnson, completely awesome guy. He also said something funny. He said uh, President Nelson. He even said, I don't know if I should be saying this, but I don't think it's a big deal. I love this, all of this off the record, but I'm going to say it anyways. He said, he said, always works out well. He said that president, well, officially they remind you that we're not supposed to like redistribute and record the words of the brethren. But I think this is fine. He just said, President Nelson once said that his goal is to have a temple within two hours of every member of the church. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say or anything crazy. I do think that's an interesting update to the 200 mile radius thing that we used to kind of work off of. For temples, and we're not there to have temples within two hours of all the church membership, not by a long shot. So that's kind of a cool thing to work off of. And two hours means a lot more in different places, right? I mean, two hours. I was going to say, so we could either be building more temples or working with local governments to fix some congestion. So what this means is instead of China dominating infrastructure construction in Africa, the church is going to become the construction company because the United States fails to engage in that capacity. So you've got you hit the nail on the head. We're just going to build more roads in Africa, so Perfect. so that when we build a temple, that it won't be like only twenty miles away and take two hours or to get to. More airplane flights, more temples closer to airports. It's going to be perfect. or the temple boat, which I still want to come back. That's the best. The temple boat. Are you familiar with this? What? This was a legitimate proposal, like an actual boat. Back when, before temples were as oh. as common, as prolific as they are now. Um. They, the church genuinely considered the idea of owning a boat. I don't know if it'd be a full-blown cruise ship or what have you, but a sizable vessel, an ocean-going vessel that would travel the world as a temple and go to ports of call. And then the saints could come to the docked ship and do temple work. This was a real thing that they were serious about. (laughs) This is fantastic. I love this idea. Oh, then we can really have the background dancers They'll be a part of the cruise experience. I love this. We can bring back the temple cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Oh, it'll be all okay. you can eat. All you can eat but the buffet. And I'm sure that story about that. Do you remember that conference story about some guy who had like didn't realize that when he went on a cruise, his buffet food and all the meals were included in his cruise price, oh, and so he just ate like a can of beans. I, th- beans. I think President Uchtdorf. There you go. Told That's that going to be everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's the worst. So, Makes me so uncomfortable. Unfortunately, I think we've kind of gotten past that point of the ship becoming a reality with how many temples we have uh, wonderfully been able to add to the land since then. But man, that would have been something, right? Especially if it had a, Mor- a Moroni on a mast or something. That would have been awesome. Oh, yes. Indeed. We have digressed a little bit. I'm going to jump into some international news. It's a good news. digression. Yes, please. This is your this Great. Is your thing. Great. Okay. Well, so last week was kind of a... I think you guys had a bit of a slow news week, and uh, this week seems to be a lot of um, disasters. So here we go. So um, Good. Elder Cook is in the Philippines um, and is ministering to the saints there uh, right as there was a volcanic eruption. So the Tal Volcano is near Manila and was spewing ash on Sunday. And some of the members of the church and friends um, have evacuated to meeting houses just as a precaution. So that is a developing story. I don't know much else about the volcano. I think they've also, it's also like spat out some 
magma, lava. Spat's it, a great word. It's one of those of like what spat or lava or magma. Okay, magma is what the magma? molten rock is when it's inside the earth. Once it it has been shot out of the earth, it is referred to as lava. It just what if it, it's oozing, it cha- not spat? Well, Although even if it's this oozing, is one it's lava. That, when it is basically this is a volcano that like spits. So when it's if it's going to explode, it's going to be a big one. When it's come outside, it's called lava. When it's inside, it's magma. There we go. Okay. I read a lot of well books when I was a kid about volcanoes. That's that's good for you, Jeff. Thank you. Okay. So in other natural disaster news, uh, the saints are pitching in to help Puerto Rico after a series of earthquakes. There are some that are still without power and water. So I believe um, lots um, around the Caribbean area are helping out as much as they can. Uh, more disasters. So flash flooding in Jakarta has unfortunately killed like more than 50 people and thousands are homeless at the moment. So the city has experienced like some pretty intense rainfall that they haven't had for like, or at this level for about 20 years. So members of the church, again, as we do in most of these situations, um, local members and the humanitarian arm of the church um, at large are working with local authorities to help in any way that we possibly can. And if only some of the rain would come to Australia, there have been many instances of members coming together. I haven't listed all of them, but lots of like donations, different relief kits to help those who have been affected by the fires. Um, you guys mentioned last week that the Pacific Area Presidency had announced a special fast, and that seemed to have like reached quite... Um, a large audience and participation. So they said a special thank you to all of those. I heard it rained. Who it helped out? Wasn't, I heard people it's were taking ra- credit for I think it's for rained rain. a bit. Oh, well, I mean, I think that might be a little bit premature. And, then sadly, and also maybe a little bit arrogant to take pressure or take credit for the rain. But and then um, there was a story that circulated yes, about how it started raining some. in Australia, but it was dated like last fall. That was sad too. Oh, great. We love some of that. Um, yeah, unfortunately, actually, with the Australian fires, there has been a lot of um, bad articles that have been passed around. And some I've seen some diagrams that show like the middle of Australia on fire when there's actually just sand. So that's nothing to burn there. Um, so there has unfortunately been some misinformation around this as there is with any news story yeah. these days, but there is plenty that is still good and out there. So if you are curious, you can go to, I think the conversation AU is a pretty good one. That's usually articles written by like um, academics and um, local experts associated with the university writing about all different aspects of the bushfires, if you are curious. Um, anyways, so we are moving on. The uh, German triple combination scriptures has had an update. So, wahoo, that's exciting about for bloody them. time. Yeah, sadly, nothing too exciting. They changed some headings in the Doctrine and Covenants and some grammar. So, that's a bit of a non-event. They changed scriptures. Right. I don't know if I can believe it anymore. I know. It's probably all wrong, but it's only ever been wrong, apparently, in German. So we fixed that. Not the Adamic uh, language. <laughs> there are two senior missionary couples who both happen to be doctors um, that have led an emergency first aid training course for 250 police officers and healthcare workers in Cambodia. Um, this is pretty cool because uh, I think it's a really good example of when the church has sort of changed the parameters and roles of what senior missionary couples can do and that you can really use your skills to help out in any sort of way on your mission. And so uh, there isn't like a formal emergency medical system in Cambodia and bystanders are actually not allowed to help like at an accident scene. So police officers are basically the only people who can really jump in if they've seen an accident on the road or something. Uh, But for most, this was their first course in basic first aid. So that is um, hopefully will be of some help. And this is a little late on the Christmas news, but kind of too good not to share. The church has partnered with the Adventist Assistance and Development Agency. Whew. In Ukraine to provide coal, 1,300 tons of coal to people affected by the conflict in eastern Ukraine, which um, is a nice little Christmas gift, one that 
So what you're yeah, telling me is was... the church is not in favor of clean power. That's what we're learning here. <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. I'm so glad that it wasn't me who brought it up. But yes, indeed. Yeah, I joke. But in reality, it's just because that's what that's what they use in Ukraine for. It's what they need. They're for energy. So that's part of yeah. it. Interesting that and this I'm is coming sure now. That I mean, a small group of people in eastern Ukraine aren't actually the ones responsible for um, climate change. So No, they're not. We'll but, forgive a, but a that. small group of Russians are responsible for destabilizing the entire country. And that is I true. will stop so talking I'd about it. I prefer to put the blame on them. I, will, I need to not talk about the Ukrainian conflict because that'll become the entire show. So Good. Okay, moving Good on. Good for Quick. helping. So. Good. Um, last one is that Elder Christofferson spoke the first young adult devotional for the year and the decade about why people in the 18 to 30 age bracket may not join ah. or participate in an organized religion. Um, so he had some interesting things to say about FOMO, which I love when our general authorities pick up like a new and trendy word. I love like what, that. One, one of them, um, I, I hope one of them gets up at some point and is like, okay, <laughs> boomer. Boomer. Yes. Oh, it's so good because they always say it really slow and almost like they're doing air quotes, yeah. but they're trying not to. They're like doing it with their eyebrows. They're like, Fomo. It'd be funny if some of the and, old ones said, okay, oh. boomer to like Elder Bednar and Elder Stevenson. Because okay, boomer is supposed to be the younger people are insulting the older ones. But what if the older yeah. people... Or like you stupid younger boomer. That's coming. Uh, I'm sure this happens in their chats in the temple all the time. It must, I really want to. It must just be a uh, big hazing session. Maybe since the temple's closed and anybody can go in there right now, we need to install some listening devices so that we can find out. That sounds legal. Um. Anyway, to say? so talked about. <laughs> I don't know what the law is in you. Uh, I think I think people have spoken on that one actually. So anyways, he had some good bits to say, um, things like, we need not live in fear of failure. We are not alone. We are not without help. So there you go. Um, warm and fuzzies about faith. And oh, that's our that's our international news. <laughs> See, we ended on a positive note. <laughs> I need like a good transition, don't I? Like a da-da-da-da, and off we go on to like international news. Like a really old, like 90s sort of, not really... <laughs> You could even start doing a bit every week where you report on the stuff, and we'll just insert it into the show, no matter who's here. And now, Do I get to pick my own themes. And now we'll turn to Josie That's for international news, and you'll be and you'll just yes. just read the headlines for three. The problem is, is that the newsrooms around the world in their various languages do not publish enough Ooh, they for don't. my my interests. So there is still some. Calling out you, Ireland. Publish something. It's been six months. Look, there's I'm one so stake in the country. Of it. Okay, it's very Catholic. You've got to give them. Some- there's one stake in Singapore, and we publish regularly. It's far more. No idea who it's on that, by the way. I should check that out. You but at, just saying, some are better than others. It's hundred. It's with it, people. You're absolutely Poland. Right. Come on. Poland has got bigger issues to worry about, like the attacks on the judiciary. Anyway, so um, some quick mentions here. The giving machines, uh, you know, we see them all during the Light the World campaign. Light the World is just what we've just settled in on, man. We used to change the campaign every year, but now Light the World is the jam. So the giving machines totaled nearly $6.3 million in donations for charities, which is terrific. So uh, according to BombCom... There, there were over 250,000 items purchased from the 10 giving machine locations. Um, the top five were three chickens, 100 polio vaccines, take-home meals for a child, one sheep, and one box of fresh produce. And they even break that down by how much of, of which. you know. So there were like th- 30,000 transactions to provide three chickens to someone. Which is so amazing to me. One sheep. I'm sorry, I'm dying. Uh, where are these giving machines? They were, let's see. Like, is there one near you? No. Um, they, they've, oh. um, I don't know if it'll list. Let's see. Okay. Uh, they've, they've branched out where they've gone. So this time around, they were in Gilbert, Arizona, San Jose, California, Denver, Colorado, Laie, Hawaii, Las Vegas, New York City, Orem and Salt Lake City, Utah, and then internationally just in London and Manila, Philippines. They've done them in New York City in the past, but I guess they didn't do it this time around. As far as I know, we've never done it in D.C., which is a shame because I, I think just listen- oh. D.C. could use some 
a charitable kick in the pants. I think that would be a good thing for us out here. Okay. Yeah. I'll take your word for it. Uh, another quick thing. 15 changes since President Nelson became the prophet. <clears throat> it's funny to see this because I remember when President Nelson first came in about two years ago. And I actually thought to myself, I said, I'm going to like start writing down anything he changes just to keep track of it. But then conference came in April and like, you know, he basically just churned the whole thing over. And I said, there's no point keeping track of this guy. He's a rogue agent. Just does what he wants. Anyway, um, 15 of them. You can read this. It's in Spanish. But of course, the restructuring of the priesthood quorums, the um, replacing home teaching with uh, ministering. Um, they have announced the new hymn book and the children's hymn book. They have a new rules for interviewing youth. Um, of course, the name of the church, we've talked about that quite a bit. Um, new scheduling for Sunday meetings. Uh, they've changed the missionary dress standards. They have up, made it so missionaries can be in contact with their families quite a bit more. Uh, they have, oh, they've just changed like how we communicate stuff like our digital properties. Uh, they've changed the seminary program, what they're going to be studying. They have, they, they said there's a new policy for the children of gay couples while failing to remind them that this new policy regarding the children of gay couples uh, just got rid of the previous couple for children of gay couples from the November policy. Uh, they say you can get sealed in the temple immediately after a civil ceremony. That's a new thing that's happened. Um, new ages for baptisms, also particularly in the temple and serving as witnesses for that. Uh, we've changed the temple recommend questions and the new children and youth program. I translated that on the fly. You're welcome, world. Congratulations. I could tell. Everyone else, you could just use Google Translate. That's what I did. But it's... I thought it was a nice little roundup. It was. Um, good little, like, I remember when President Nelson came in that there was actually loads of criticism that he was going to be just, like, so hardline and not yeah. change anything. Yeah. And all of that is now ancient history as he's changed lots of things. He's Mr. 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 Progress. He's just making yeah. it happen. Um, so back to uh, women's stuff. There's a... Uh, um, a new podcast by Deseret News that's actually good, thanks to Diana Douglas. Um, so this they've only released the first episode of Zion Suffragist. It's going to be a six-part series. I listened to the first episode, um, and it's about how Utah women got the right to vote. And it actually seems to have been in defense of polygamy. I guess that's simplifying a bit, but you have a listen. Um and there's mostly for an astounding quote by Eliza Snow in 1850, like rebuking the New York suffragists, saying essentially that Utah women don't need the right to vote because our women are or our men are nearly perfect, which is uh, good. Yeah. Good reminder. But ladies. she clearly changed her mind and repped the movement 20 years later. So there you go. Um, there's also uh, this. Uh, goofy one not a goofy one it's actually uh kind of oh, sad it's a wacky good time distressing tickets there yeah it's um okay so there's a woman who's suing the church for nine and a half million for disclosing her husband's sexual abuse so this guy apparently went in had a chat with his bishop confessed to sexually abusing a minor on repeated occasions yeah. and then this woman the the wife is apparently upset that um this information was passed on to law enforcement and feels like there's been some confidentiality that has been uh broken it just seems so strange and so backwards after we have so many instances of like wanting our leadership to do more i don't think that anyone is really on the side of this woman who feels like her husband's confession should have been kept a secret. So well, that's the thing, Jeff, what do you know <laughs> about bishops and like what they're supposed to do in this situation? Now, okay. First of all, the main thing is the lawsuit yes. alleges that, um, that basically he, the man was not advised in advance. Like if you confess something illegal, we will tell the police. Um, I'm not aware of any regulation that, you have to disclose that up front. Why would you say that? Why would any bishop risk the legal standing of the church by saying, don't worry, it's between you and me and I can't say anything to law enforcement? Like, that's not the policy. Um, the pol no. At the same time, the policy is not— This guy just didn't know. No, he just didn't know. I mean, it's, it was—anyway. 
Um, the policy is, of course, to help the abuser first and the help the abused first and foremost, but also help the help the abuser if the abuser can be helped, help the abuser too. But first and foremost, it is to protect the abused. And uh, there are a number of resources to do that. Uh, much of this has been updated in recent years. There is a hotline. And that is the main thing. And this has fallen under criticism because it's not an automatic like you just told me you abused a minor. I am calling the police. That is not the process. The process is you told me you abused a minor. I am calling 1-800-453-3860 extension 2. Um, <laughs> extension 2. No. Uh you, you call and there's a hotline. No, the, the, hotline the, the hotline is staffed by lawyers and people aware of the intricacies involved in these issues uh, and also to call stake presidents if you're a bishop, for example. And they will help guide you what you should potentially do when addressing situations of abuse like this. So legal and clinical professionals answer the questions and provide instruction on how to assist the victims, how to comply with local law and requirements for reporting abuse and protect against further abuse. That's typically the policy. I could see people wanting to pick this apart because it's basically saying, how do you comply with the the requirements for reporting abuse? I choose to believe that means like make sure that you report everything thoroughly and in the correct way and not as like, well, in this state, it doesn't require that you suggest that you report it like it might in the neighboring state. So yeah. you just don't do it. I don't think we're trying to look for the lowest, you know, baseline. For, to, how little we can get away yeah, exactly, with. Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm, I like to believe it's more about just making sure that you are reporting in the correct way and through the proper channels. Um, but naturally, there are people who have latched onto that and just said, see, this isn't just saying like absolutely report it. It's saying, how do you comply with the requirements? Hmm. Uh, well, because reporting is ultimately going to be a big commitment um, to you as the person who's reporting it. Like if it comes to a criminal case, you're going to be involved um, and... I don't think that bishops should shy away from that, but they do also no need way. to, like, they need to be aware of what this means, and they should absolutely report it. And it seems like in this situation that, like, if the news is reporting that he's, this man has abused a minor on repeated accounts, it doesn't sound like it was something that necessarily happened, like, 30 years ago. I don't know, it might have been, yeah. but it sounds like it's falling within the statute of limitations. This... To me, I can't think of any possible reason why the lawyers on the other side of this hotline would have said, nah, like his privacy is more important in this situation. I think that that one is definitely one that you report. It's just strange that the wife is suing yeah, for Yeah, the lawsuit is usually like, hey, you didn't protect my child against abuse, so I'm suing you, church. It's not exactly. this. Um, you didn't protect my husband, who then hurt at least one poor child multiple times like yeah and of course unfortunately you know it's a strange we one. all latch on to this as a story i'll be very curious to see what happens with it i wouldn't be shocked if a judge throws it out before it even goes to trial uh mm. but we'll see what happens it's a bit cringy it is a bit cringy but it's a, it's an important cringe you know um last one here i guess i'll just jump into it real quick so you might remember Go for it, some time ago um, when was this one? April 28th. Mar yeah. So in the spring, the 2018 session of general conference, you might recall there was a woman, you don't know her name, but her name was Crystal Lejeunet. And she shouted while, uh, Elder Oaks was inviting newly called members of the faith's leadership to take their seats, you know, after they call new seventies and what have you, a woman shouted from the rafters, stop protecting sexual predators and yelled it loudly. Now, things like this happen in conference, and I I don't know. I guess I don't think much of it. Everyone kind of, you know, so that happens and everyone turns around and everyone's on Twitter saying, what was just yelled? What's going on? What's going on? You know, we have no idea. So I believe she was escorted from the building. And the funny thing is she was taken to trial over this. Uh, so there was what's called a bench trial Monday in Salt Lake City Justice Court where a judge heard and decided the case. Bench trial meaning he decides the case as opposed to a jury. And... They originally charged a misdemeanor, but reduced it ahead of Monday's trial, so there was no potential for jail time. The judge said, I don't think that your message is wrong. I think your timing and your place is inappropriate and is also a violation of the law. I guess because it's the, you know, you have a right to protest against the, let's see. She, the case was. Yeah, what is the law on this? Is it like you can protest outside, but you can't, like disrupting a meeting seems. I mean, it's private property. Like a, yeah. 
it seemed like a strange law to quote. It's a weird thing to enforce. And also, who's bringing forth the charges against this person? The people. Like, is it the church? I don't don't think that it specifies, actually, in the article, like, who necessarily brought the charges forth. But that they uh, went to court, and uh, Crystal was convicted, and... Um, I don't know. That's also a strange one to me that, like, you can get convicted for disrupting general conference. And also, there's some irony to the fact that they were shouting, it's, it stop seems protecting to be the sexual church. predators, when our previous story was about a yeah. bishop who was trying not to protect a sexual predator. And, like, honestly, apparently you can't win in this situation. Someone's mad. Either way. Yeah, so I think this came from the church itself. It said they quoted David Miles, the church's event coordinator, who testified that the church, that, that you know, conference is considered part of a religious ceremony. So it says there's, yeah, there's a disclaimer on the back of every ticket okay. given to the public and read about 15 minutes prior to the start of every conference session, you know, that it's a religious ceremony and it's not to be... There's They said, you know, it disrupted the reverence of the meeting, but of course others say... It wasn't really like disruptive. Like she yelled something and life went on. It's not like the meeting stopped because of it, which it didn't. Yeah. You know, the time that someone, this was in general conference, the time someone tried to pull a gun and kill President Hunter, that disrupted the meeting. Um, this was not it. So that's weird. Anywho. It's a bit of a weird one to end on, isn't it? Yeah. Let's think of something. But it happened. So there it more is. More positive news, news. Harry and Meghan are trying to step back from being full-time royal. Oh, yeah. So yes, let's talk about no, this. No, I don't want to. But clearly I found I've <laughs> clearly we found one of Josie's interests. Okay, we'll save this for the next time. No, actually, I could hardly care less. I'm more fascinated with the like the interest and intrigue that yeah. the press and nearly everyone else has about anything royal news that comes out. That's more of the fascination for me. With that wonderful bit of news. Thank you all very much for tuning in this week. We appreciate your time. Twim can't be possible without you because if no one listens, why would I do this? I'm not that bored. Josie, thanks for being here. (gasps) Maybe you are that bored. Maybe that's why we're here. No, I'm teasing. You still have a basement to finish. Anyway, folks, you are all my friend, each and every one of you. I love you all dearly. Even if I haven't met you, if you're ever in DC, drop me a line. You're just trying to get free dinners out of this, aren't you? I'd just be happy to buy, let people buy me lunch. Yep. I don't see what the problem is. Anyway, thanks, Josie. Good seeing you. Thank you. Appreciate your time, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Twim is possible through you, and we love you all very much. Be well, be holy, and be happy. I'm not a baby.